You're listening to Faith Assembly of God Online, a recording of our weekly service. Thanks for joining with us, the place where hope and reality converge. Don't leave me hanging. Look at your neighbor this morning and ask him today, don't leave me hanging. Just don't leave me hanging. We're in this together. Don't leave me hanging. We're, we're, we're in this together. Don't, don't leave me in this journey. Don't leave me where we've started. We're in this together. We've started this process in the, in the, uh, the presence of God and the call of God. Don't leave me hanging. This morning we conclude this series entitled Full House. This has been our desire and that is to establish homes that are full of the presence of God. Where there is the tangible presence of God. Where God is leading and directing and working in our lives. Not just in the, in the occasional moments but in every developmental moment of our life. That the Holy Spirit is at work and developing. This morning I want to share a message as we conclude this and uh, this message is simply titled today Stay Engaged. That we want to stay Stay engaged in this work. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at this story. And it is a story that is not just a, uh, a story to be told, but a story of real life events. A near tragic event that happened because of not being fully committed, not being engaged, not being completely offered in themselves to God. And looking at this story in 1 Samuel chapter 30, as we look and we're going to read the, the first uh, couple verses. There are actually 19 verses. Why don't we do this? this morning just to help us be engaged would you stand and if you have your bibles i want you to follow along and let's just engage in this story i want you to hear it and not just hear it if you if you don't have your your bible with you you don't have it on you version and if you do have you version you can look at the live uh the uh the live uh, uh event and you can pull that up they'll have opportunity for you to to follow along but but this morning if you can as we stand i want you to just hear this story and be engaged and catch what is going on because sometimes you can hear words i, I don't want you to hear words this morning. I want you to hear the story that is taking place so that we can pull from this just some some, uh, direct things that will affect our lives and looking at staying engaged. Here it is, 1 Samuel chapter 30. And the Bible says this, three days later, and the events that are three days later is David was fighting with another king, a Philistine ruler in uh, the, the city of Gath, and David was kicked out of that. We'll talk about that later. But three days later, here the Bible says, Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at the town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and had burned Ziklag to the ground. They carried off the women and children and every, everyone else without killing anyone. How many know that's a bad thing to come home and find? This is not a good situation. You, they, they come back home, they find the city burned, and the wives and the children are now taken captive. The good news is they weren't killed. The bad news is they're taken captive and they don't know if they'll ever see him again. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabor of of Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in serious trouble because his men were very bitter about losing their wives and children and they began began talking of stoning David. But David found strength in the Lord his God. I want you to see that. David found strength in the Lord his God. They came home. We've got a problem. The the enemy came and attacked us and stole our family. And the other men said this is a problem. Let's kill David. David went to the Lord and he found strength 
in the Lord. Verse 7, then he said to Abiathar the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought it to David, and David asked the Lord, should I chase them, and will I catch them? And the Lord told David, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. How many know this is starting to take a good turn? This is a, good, this is a, a bad story starting to get better. But I want you to know just because the Lord said you will recover everything doesn't mean it happens the next moment or just like that. There's a process. There's a journey. I want you to see what takes place from the moment God says you'll recover everything. Continue to read along. So David and his 600 men set out, and they soon came to Basor Brook. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued the pursuit with 400 men remaining. Some of David's troops found an Egyptian man in the field and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and some water to drink. They also gave him part of a fig cake and two clusters of raisin because he hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days and nights. It wasn't long before his strength returned. To whom do you belong and where do you come from? David asked him. I am an Egyptian. Now listen who he belongs to. The slave of an Amalekite, he replied. My master left me behind three days ago because I was sick. We were on our way back from raiding the Carathites in the Negev, the territory of Judah, and the land of Caleb. We had just burned down Ziklag. How many know this is one of the guys who was a part of the party that just burned down David's home and took all of his wives and children? He continues on. David says in verse 15, will you lead me to them? The young man replied, I swear, or if you swear by God's name that you will not kill me or give me back to my master, then I will guide you to them. So the Egyptian led them to the Amalekite encampment. When David and his men arrived, the Amalekites were spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistine and the land of Judah. David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout that night and the entire next day until the evening. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 men who fled on camels. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing. And let me just say, by the way, man, we only get one wife. You don't get to go after two. We've said before, just because it was right in the culture doesn't mean it's right in, in the, according to the word of God. Just because the culture does it doesn't mean we practice the same thing. And the, this is Israel. They did not completely cap, catch and, and hold on to trusting, taking God. They took matters into their own hand. They, this is not a, a, a thing that David was, uh, uh, was his best uh, known thing. But of course, he had two wives. He got to rescue his two wives. But here's the good news. The Bible says that they lost nothing. Nothing was taken. Nothing was missing, small or great son or daughter nor anything else that had been taken David brought everything back thanks be to God father I thank you this morning Lord that that is your promise and your word to us and God I pray that we would be people Lord who would who would recognize our God who is a consuming fire our God who purifies our God who perfects and makes things new, and God moves us for your glory. God, not that we can just be left shining, but God, that we might be left at a place or brought to a place to bring glory and reflect the glory of God in our world. So God, I pray that you bless this word as we receive it together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Before you're seated, just tap the shoulder of your neighbor and say, stay engaged. Tell them this morning, stay engaged. 
Don't fall asleep, stay engaged, wake up. I know some of you, there are some people here at Faith Assembly that they go to work on Saturday night and they stay up long enough to come to church on Sunday morning. God bless you, but stay awake. <laughs> stay engaged this morning. I want to encourage you today in this, this regard, stay engaged. I want to ask you this morning, how many of you have ever been engaged? Raise your hand if you've been engaged. I love the smiles on your face when you raise your hand. I've been engaged. How many of you look forward to one day getting engaged? Anybody? I, I saw a couple girls, they went like this. They didn't go, oh, no. How many of you are still engaged? Anybody still engaged? Yeah. Raise your hand. It was, this is, this is uh, uh, 7,218 days ago today. I asked the most important question I could ask to my high school sweetheart. 7,218 years ago, I had the plans. It was all made out. I, I knew years. I did the same thing in first service. You were waiting for that, weren't you? I, I was just making sure you were staying engaged. That's good. 7,218 days ago, almost 20 years, I had made the plans. Uh, I was home from college. Jody was, was at Kent State. I was at, at uh, North Central in Minnesota. And so we were home, had the opportunity, and I was going to ask the question. I wanted to find out. I could not return to Minnesota without having my question answered. And so I made plans. We were going to, uh, made plans to go to the Pennsylvania State Monument, which is right there on the Gettysburg Battlefield. You think, why would you go to a battlefield to a place of conflict it was it was for us a place where we would spend our Sunday nights after church we would go and we would sit there we would buy McDonald's food and I would eat it all and she would sit there and and listen to me eat and talk because I did both but uh, we would we would experience the the moment together it was the place where we would go and hang out at the Pennsylvania monument there on the Gettysburg battlefield all the plans were in place taking her there I'm going to ask the question I'm going to find out if she will marry me that week before or just as I got home on break it had happened where the budget had not passed and the government they had an issue and therefore all federal parks were closed because of the budget issue so I took her to Pizza Hut. I was not about to go back to Minnesota. I could not wait for Mr. Clinton and all the others to do what they needed to do to get things back. I was not going to wait for the parks to open back up. I was going to take the opportunity. So I took her to Pizza Hut and I sat there. There was no one in the room, just her and I in that whole place, in that small Pizza Hut uh, there in Gettysburg. And I asked the question and almost 20 years ago, 7,218 days ago, she said yes. She said yes to, to marry me, and we've been engaged from that moment on. But here's the important thing, that I didn't just get engaged and go through a phase. If I made myself engaged, I gave myself to a commitment, to a promise, I didn't go through the phase of engagement. I built upon the commitment of engagement. I asked the question earlier, how many of you are still engaged? If you're married, I hope you're raising your hands because we've got to be people who are still engaged in the process and the work and the task of what it is. Engagement is not a phase that leads to marriage. Engagement is a platform and a starting point upon which marriage is built. It's something that we remain in. Don't You're not just engaged for a starting point. You're engaged in a process that will bring you all the way to completion. This morning, looking at this desire in our lives that we would stay engaged. Every home is started with an engagement. 
Every family has started with that engagement. You know your story. You can tell the story and talk of that moment of the engagement, the time where it all began. It started with an engagement. And everything that started needs to continue. So I ask you again, are you still engaged? Are you still engaged in this process? You say, Jason, well, I'm not married. I'm, I'm not, life circumstances aren't there. I'm a teenager or, or, or that circumstances aren't, aren't in a place where I'm able to be engaged or that I'm even looking forward or, or that I have any time soon to be engaged. Let me ask, in your walk with Christ, in the pursuit of the stuff that matters, when it comes to establishing our homes and our lives in the presence of God, are we engaged? Are we still engaged in this process? Something very necessary that's missing from our homes today. It's a missing factor. And that is this, that unfortunately discipline is missing in our homes. Now before you think that I'm talking about a matter of correcting behavior, I'm not just talking about the correction of behavior. I'm talking about not a, not a correction for wrong behavior, but a prescription for right behavior. Discipline is not just something that is enacted when something goes wrong or we, we, cause, we bring discipline in whenever we need to correct what's wrong. But discipline is brought in so that there might be a standard set towards what is right. That when we live a life of discipline, it sets things in a proper order. It moves things about, not just to correct wrong behavior, but it sets a standard for right behavior. Discipline in your life determines the destiny of your life. Let me say that again. Discipline in your life determines the destiny of your life. Where you are in discipline, where discipline is is carried out in your life, that where discipline affects your life or where discipline is in your life will determine the destiny of your life. If you're falling short of a goal, no matter what that goal would be, maybe it's a, a goal of health, maybe it's a goal of relationship, it's finances, spiritual, whatever area it is, if you're falling short of a goal, it likely has to do with the lack of discipline that's being carried out in your life. How many would agree with that this morning? The goal is not the problem. The problem is not that we set the wrong goal. Oftentimes the problem is that we have not engaged in discipline to follow through and to carry out and to pursue that goal. I want you to know why that's so important. Because engagement can be an experience. And too many times we get caught up in the experience of what starts but we lose the discipline to carry it out. I've said this before, when it comes to marriages, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to anything in our lives, don't let the best part of that, of that process be when you began. I, I remember saying recently, there was uh, just a number of weddings that we've been able to do this summer, and uh, I remember saying to one of the couples that marriage is not something you, uh, you just simply fall into, that uh, marriage is not a, a, a love, is not something you just simply fall into, because if you could fall into it, then many people raise that same card to say, well, I fell out. You don't fall into it and you don't fall out of it. You make a commitment. You, you, you start and not, and, and the only reason you fall out or you can let your fall, yourself fall out is because when you wrap it all up in an experience, it's all about an experience. It's all about the experience. And when that, that experience seems to be gone, you've lost the commitment. You're no longer engaged. You're no longer committing, committing yourself and following through. But this, this, this desire, this necessary thing in our life to have discipline that will bring things through if we're falling short of, of a goal in our life, it's not that the goal is the problem. It's that we probably don't have discipline that's needed to carry out that goal, to see that happen in our life. 
Each and every one of us are on a journey, and that goal is to go somewhere. And the journey always begins with this. It starts with a dream that is enacted by a decision and made reality by discipline before arriving at a destination. I want you to see this this morning, that it all begins. Don't you wish it could just all start, that when I dream something, all of a sudden I'd arrive in in my destiny? But there's a gap between the dream and getting to the destiny. I can dream something for my home. I can dream something for my family. I can dream something for my walk, my relationship with Christ. But in the midst or in the middle of that dream and that destiny becomes to a place of decision. And when I come to a decision, it's like a fork in the road. It's a fork in the road and I have to make up my mind. I have to ask myself which direction I'm going to go because it always starts with a dream. I desire something, and you can dream. You get engaged because you're filled with dreams. You become engaged, and you're filled with dreams, and then you step to a decision. Now it's at a place I've got to do something about this, and at that place, there's a fork in the road, and you can either take one that'll lead to discipline, or you'll take the other that'll lead to disappointment. There is no shortcut when it comes to destiny. You cannot get to your destiny without going through discipline. You cannot get to your destiny without going through discipline, without going through a place that you have to allow yourself to be engaged and committed and to have follow through. There is no easy way from the dream to the destiny. You've got to go through discipline. But the Bible says this in, in Paul. He tells, us, tells Timothy that we must be disciplined, that we've got to discipline ourselves, even as, a, as an athlete, that people in their lives, that there's an act of discipline that's taking place. Too many individuals and even families have landed or have ended up in disappointment. And before you think, oh, we're the odd ones, there's not one family here that has never landed in the place of disappointment. There's not one family here that's never shown up in the place of disappointment because I believe in the same regard that God's God's desire is not to protect us from disappointment, but to use disappointment in our life to prepare us and to make us ready for something that's far greater that we would not experience if it were not for disappointment in our life. That he uses those disappointments, he uses those stages, those seasons in our life. Wisdom without discipline is deception. Wisdom without discipline is deception. You can have all the wisdom in the world, but if there is no discipline to, fill, to carry it out, and that discipline becomes that the, the, the ability to stay engaged, that when we engage in discipline, it gives attention, it's giving interest, and it's causing follow-through. That in our lives that we don't want to live a life of deceived. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, a wise person chooses the right road, a fool takes the wrong one. You can identify fools just by the way they walk down the street. You know someone, you can see by the way they walk. You'll know if we're living a life of disappointment or a life of discipline. That we're living in a life of, of, of being disciplined and a life of doing what we need to do. It'll show by the way that we walk, the way that we carry ourselves. Here it is in this, in this story, recognizing, I, I want to look at the, the life of these men, David and these men, when they came to a place that something happened in their world or in their home. There's, without a doubt, discipline. I talk about this discipline that's needed, this follow-through. Discipline is missing in our home, and I'll tell you why discipline is missing in our home, is because there are leaders missing in our home. There are leaders that are missing. Discipline is meant to be modeled from the top down. Now, before I don't want you to hear this word today, discipline, is that we become disciplinarians who, begin, who are those who set the order and discipline. 
I'm talking about that we model discipline in our lives, that we live, that there are people in homes and people in our world who are living the model of a disciplined life, that we're living a life consecrated unto God. We're living a life purified, surrendered, wholly committed to the work that God would have, that we live at a place of complete follow-through, trusting and honoring God and living in a way of discipline. Some of our homes are lacking discipline And the reason they're lacking discipline is because they're lacking a leader. Discipline is connected with leaders. If there is no one to rise up, listen, the issue that happened in Ferguson and in Baltimore, I know that's time back, but the riots and the things of of unrest and things that will take place is not because of anything other than there are not individuals, and specifically men, in those guys' lives to be able to set in order and to set what needs to happen. I know there was a, there was a mom on TV who, who the, everybody made a big deal over the mom who chased down the son and, said, and, and uh, slapped on him and held him. And thank God for that mom, but where was dad? Thank God for mom, but where was dad? Where's the, where's the leader that, let, that shows? And I know we, we can have moms, and I realize that this is not a, we need a them or him. It, it, it's this working together. But where's the father to be able to be a figure? And that's what's missing, that when there's not discipline, there's not a leader that's in the place. And sometimes there are homes that have the men or the women in the home, but they're there, but they're not really there. You know what I'm talking about? They're there, but they're not there. They're, they're there in existence, but they're not there in engagement. They're existing in the home, but they're not engaged in the home. They're around the atmosphere. They're, they're around the experience, but they're not engaged in the experience. They're not stepping into that role. And if we're going to be people that will experience the presence of God, the work of God, and this is where we are to ask ourselves, am I still engaged? Am I engaged in this work, in the place that I'm in? Am I being engaged in this process? Here's what it is. I'll look at this story. David and his men, they come back and notice what they find. They find a travesty that has taken place. They get back to their home. And what happens? The city that they're living in at the time is burned down. The women and the children are taken captive. Not a good day. Talk about that phone call that things are falling apart. You know what it's like. You've had the occasion, that moment that sometimes you learned of this happening. You found out that this is taking place and you come to learn and all of a sudden your heart sinks and you say travesty, difficulty. This is, this is a, a place of disappointment. Here it is, David and his men, they come to this place and how many would recognize with me, David, David's city was attacked in Ziklag. Why? Because David and his men were all fighting a battle that was somewhere else. Wouldn't you acknowledge with me that if David and his men had been home, it probably wouldn't have happened. If David and his men had been at home, it probably wouldn't have been something that would have, would have occurred because unfortunately they weren't in the place, they weren't engaged where, where they really needed to be, the place that they really should have been. I don't know this morning where you are in, in a place that you're in that, that maybe you're at a, at a place where there's something that you've not been where you should have been and difficulty has stepped in. But here's the good news. God said to David, You'll rest- I'll restore everything you've lost. Aren't you thankful for good news today? Amen. How many are thankful for the good news of the gospel? 
that even though, even though we are sinners, even not one of us deserve anything from God in his mercy, we are who we are in Christ, not because of anything we've done, but only by the grace of God do we have anything. It is only the mercy of God that we have anything. So before you let the enemy beat you up for what you're not, forget that and just begin to thank God for the mercy because it's only his mercy that allows you to be anything you are. So don't hear this message as we continue. Don't hear this message this morning and say, oh, God, I'm the grandfather that should have been the father back then. Or I'm the, and I should have. Don't you look at this message from the back, from, from, the, from the aspect of, of not being able to go back and fix what's happened. You look at this from today and say, where am I today? What needs engaged? Because I know that I serve a God that when I engage and when I step in, he's a God who is able to restore what the enemy has taken. He's a God that as I trust to him, he will put the pieces together. So I don't know this morning whether you're here today because you're at a place of looking and, and for you that this is more about preventative. Maybe you're the young dad the young mother maybe you're a teenager and this for you is is a preventative stage in life this is a place where you can learn that you can glean wisdom and you can learn from someone else's mistakes might I say to you I'm a 38 year old man who learned how to live after not making my own mistakes all the time but learning from wise people in front of me who said hey I've been there don't do that and so I honored God I kept myself I walked after God not in perfection but I was able to say to God God I want wisdom and here's what wisdom is wisdom says learn from someone else's mistakes learn because someone else has already gone where you've gone the scriptures are not written so that we can that we can mimic and copy their mistakes the scripture paul tells us is written so that we might learn from what they've gone through that we might glean from the wisdom that's gone behind that we can carry out wisdom in our life i don't know where you are today if this is preventative for you or maybe this for you is a recovery stage. Maybe you're at a place where you've, you've come and, and, and you've been away from home. You've not been engaged. And I don't mean just physically away from home, but maybe you've not been engaged as you should be. And the enemy has come in and stolen some things from you. Then you might be at a place of recovery today. I want you to know no matter where you are, whether it's preventative or recovery, that God, as you engage in the, in the Word of God, as you engage yourself in discipline, that God will restore and make all things right, that he'll bring you to a place that you cannot get to destiny without going through discipline. You believe that this morning? Look at your neighbor and say, hang in there. Hang in there. Hang in there. Don't bail. Don't, don't, don't leave me hanging either. Don't, don't leave me here. I want to share this this morning. David and his men, as they returned, notice what happened. When David and his men returned, they did two things immediately. Number one, the Bible says they wept until they could weep no more. They wept till they could weep no more. You, you can weep all you want, but the moment you weep, you're just admitting and making it known that you're disappointed. But have you found out that weeping all you can doesn't produce anything? You can weep all you want to weep, but it doesn't bring anything back. You can cry about everything. That You can cry about the circumstance that's occurred. You can cry about how difficult. You can cry about how unfortunate. You can cry about the circumstance that you're in. You can cry about whatever it might be, but weeping won't be able to return anything. The Bible says that they began to weep. Here's the second thing they did. They wept till they could weep no more. And then the second thing, the Bible says they planned to stone David. Because it was all his fault. And so what did David, here it is, they, they recognized that they were looking for someone to blame. Isn't it true that when you land in disappointment, it's a lot easier to take the route to disappointment and sit there and whine and complain about how things aren't going and blame somebody? It's a lot easier to do that than it is to rise up in discipline and do something about it. How many would admit with me one is easier than the other? We know it is. 
It's a lot easier to sit in disappointment. Well, I can't believe this stuff the way they... Well, you know whose fault it is. It's all their fault. It's all, and we just... We, we can analyze and talk about why things are falling apart and why there's disappointment in our life. And we can point to somebody, well, if they wouldn't have done this, well, if this would have happened, and if this, we can whine and we can blame, but how many know you can do all the whining and all the blaming you want, but you're still going to be left in a burned down city with your people, with your family lost. But in that moment, what did David say? The Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. I want you to know leaders rise up in disappointment. Leaders rise up in places of disappointment. Leaders are those that rise up in the place of disappointment. Here's David. He could have sat with them and said, yeah, guys, I know it was, we shouldn't have done that. We were at a place we, we shouldn't have stayed, and now our family's lost. Everything's taken. But David encouraged himself in the Lord, and he sought God. Leaders rise up in moments of disappointment. He requested that the things of God's presence become, be brought to him, and he engaged the presence of God. He sought God in that moment and in that situation. He said, God, should we go up, and can we get them? And God said, yep, I'll give you, and I'll give you the strength. I'll give you what you need. You will re- recover everything that you lost. God went before David. He gave him a hope in this place. Sometimes, no matter what it is, the circumstance that you're in, the situation that you're facing, We can spend a lot of time whining and complaining about how things are. But then someone needs to rise up and be a leader to say, well, I'm going to do something about what it is that we're facing. To be in that place of leadership, to engage, to to stay engaged, to, to engage in discipline, to do something more. Because it's a lot easier to sit at disappointment and complain and blame everybody else. It's a lot harder to rise up in discipline and say, I've got to follow through. I've got to commit. I've got to walk on. I've got to trust. I want to encourage us this morning. I want to give you four things today as we, as we, as we look at this today and just challenge, I believe, in, in the word that God has for us today. But this here, four things this morning, if we're going to be engaged, how many, want to, how many would say this morning, I want to be more engaged in my walk with Christ? I want, I want to be more committed. And that engagement, that when you make an engagement, you started something, I want to carry it out. I need to commit myself wholly, consecrated, completely under God so that he can bring about what he wants. Here's four things. I'm going to give you number one. Number one is this, live for the greater purpose. If you're going to stay engaged, we've got to live the greater purpose. David had two setbacks in this story. Number one, he came back and found that his family was taken from him. That's a setback. But before that setback, there's another setback, and we don't read about it, but it's in the chapter before. And in the chapter before, David is wanting to go out and fight with the Philistines. Because he had been spending time with the king of Achish, who was the king over Gath, which was in a Philistine territory. And if you know anything about the Bible, if you you study, the Philistines were the enemies of Israel. They were the enemy of God's people. And David, because he's running for his life from Saul, is hanging out with the enemy. Honestly, he's hanging out with the enemy because he doesn't want the, 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 the king, Saul, to kill him. And David is there with the, with, with the enemy and he's working with King Achish. And he says to Achish, he says, hey, we want to go fight with you. We want to go fight your enemies. And Achish says, absolutely, you're a proven warrior. I want you to come. And Achish says, come along and fight. And when they got together with all the other, all the other uh, uh, Philistines, the other kings looked at Achish and said, hey, what's up with the Hebrews being with you? What are you doing with the Hebrews? 
And Achish says, oh, this is David and his men. David is a great warrior. And they all come aside. They said, hey, we know who David is. We remember David. He's the guy that when he was a kid, he killed Goliath. We don't want that guy in our camp. He could turn on us. We don't want David to fight with us. And so Achish, who has built a relationship with David, Achish says to David, he says, hey, man, nothing against you. You're a great warrior. I love you so much. In fact, this here's what Achish says in 1 Samuel 28. Then Achish told David, I will make you my personal bodyguard for life. That's how much Achish loved David. Achish said, listen, David, I know you're a good fighter because I would make you my bodyguard for life. But these other guys in the group, they, they're not fond of you. So you and I are good, but if you would just quietly go off to the side because I don't have anything against you, but they don't want you. And here's David's response. What did I do to deserve this? <laughs> you ever been there? What did I do to deserve this? And Achish says, listen, man, we're all good, but they just don't like you, so why don't you go back home? How many know that if Achish hadn't said go back home, David would have not recognized what happened at home? It was a disappointment that took David back home. What you think is a disappointment today, and you say, God, why is this happening to me? Might be something that God's saying, hey, I'm shaking your attention because you've got some things that you're not engaged in. I've got some things I want to shake your attention because you've got to focus in a place that's not. And God might be saying, hey, I want you to get your attention where it needs to be. I'm shaking you, and you're going through something that you don't like. It's uncomfortable. And God says, I'm putting your attention where it needs to be. David goes back. David went back home. Listen. David could have been, been applauded for being the best bodyguard. Achish, Achish, the king of Gath, said, David, I want you to be my bodyguard for what? For life. That's all well and good, except we've got one problem. David, God didn't call you to be a bodyguard for life. He called you to be the next king of Israel. So quit forfeiting the greater good that God has for you by spending time with things that are lesser. David, quit hanging out and trying to be a bodyguard for a king when God says, I want you to be the next king, and you're called to something greater. Don't forfeit the greater things when you look at something. God may have called you, and you're being an employee and doing what you're doing. Work to the best that you've got but don't be the best employee just there make sure you know you got a greater calling if you're a husband then you know your calling is to be a husband above all things to be a father to be a mother to be a wife that you've got a greater calling don't forfeit the greater calling just to establish and try to keep yourself in a lesser calling don't do less when God has called you to more Can I say amen to that don't step down when God has called you to do something greater. He didn't call you to be a bodyguard for life. Oh, Achish and all those men, they might love you. Oh, they'll applaud you. Oh, David, you're a really good bodyguard. You're a really good bodyguard, David. No one's ever been like you, David. You're the best, David. You're the best, David. And all that was was attraction to lull David to a place to forget what his real calling was. The enemy will do whatever you want to hear. Oh, hey, girls, there'll be a guy coming along and say, oh, you're the prettiest girl I've ever seen. You're the best I've ever seen. The enemy will do whatever he can to lull you to a place to rob a greater glory that God has for you. He wants to put you in a place where he can lull you to sleep and make you content being a bodyguard when he said, no, I called you to be a king. I called you to a higher place, to a higher position. Don't lessen what God has called you to when he's called you to something greater. Look at your neighbor and say, rise up. Rise up. Don't stay where you've been. Does that make sense? Let me give you number two, lighten the load. Number one, we've got to come to a place in our recognition, our understanding, in our walk with God that we come to a place of living for the greater purpose. Number two, lighten the load. Here's 200 men and they're going along. And the Bible says there's 600 total. 
But you remember 200 of them got tired along the way and said, hey, I can't go on any longer. Now, we're not going to condemn the 200 for not going on because how many know we get tired? In fact, David applauds them later, so we're not condemning the 200 for stopping, but we will applaud the 400 for knowing that sometimes in life you've got to leave things behind in order to keep moving to what God's called you to. We're going to applaud the 400 because here it is, 200 said, we're tired, we can't go on any longer. And David said, fine, the 400 of us are going to continue, but you guys stay with the bags. You stay with the stuff that we don't need. You stay with the stuff that we can take off and leave behind. Here's what it is for us, you and I, if we're going to stay engaged, we've got to learn how to lessen the load or lighten the load. You cannot be engaged when you're multitasking and doing 100 things at once. Multitask is the slow death of our society. Because we become so good, I'm victim of it. I tell you what, I love doing this thing. It gets a lot of stuff done, but this can be a huge distraction. We come to a place and it becomes a difficulty that we can, we can engage in stuff and be so involved, but then we're not involved. And here it is, there's some stuff that, that David recognized he had to leave behind. I want to ask you, in your life, are there things you cannot stay engaged in the things of God when you're trying to multitask and do a hundred things? What things do you need to lighten the load and get rid of? Can I tell you, it's hard lightening the load. You know why it's hard lightening the load? Because I've learned that when I've taken things off my plate because I can't do everything, that I'm inevitably going to frustrate or make somebody unhappy. Have you found that out, or is it just me? That when I come to a place and I realize, hey, Jason, you are a human being. You can't do everything. I know it. I'm 38. I'm not as young as I used to be. Some of you are like, oh, you're still a kid. You don't know what you're doing. I realize that. And some of you are like, oh, 38. My goodness, somebody called the, uh, I don't know, cardiac doctor. I don't know, whatever it is. But <laughs> I'm 38 years old, but this is what I've learned, that I take on more, I take on more, I take on more. And here's why I take on more, because that's what other people expect and then comes to a place that hey i can't do this because i've got more important things. i'm a dad i'm a husband i got to keep things in order i can't go to every meeting do everything and, and inevitably somewhere along the way when i start taking things off so that i can gauge on what really matters <laughs> well you didn't come to my bar mitzvah <laughs> do we have a we don't i don't you didn't do you here's my point you, you realize that when you try Somewhere along the way, in order to take off some of the load, inevitably is going to inevitably is going to miss somebody, mess somebody up, make somebody think, "Hey, you're not doing what you're, what I expect you to do, or what you're supposed to do." We do it in our homes. We got so many, and Jody and I early on had to come to this point, and it was an easy decision for us. But we realized as kids came along. Jaron being involved in something that's great, we're going to go cheer on baseball. Woohoo, we're going to cheer on baseball. Then Jalen comes along. <laughs> we're going to cheer on cheerleading, and he's doing baseball. This is all when they were kids, then they, they grew out of that stuff. That was all good for us at work. But we found out, hey, Dad, I want to do soccer. They're in elementary school, and they want to do soccer. They want to do baseball. They want to do this. They want to do that. And Jody and I realized, and we said, we set a rule as they were in elementary and said, you know what? We can't do because then Jordan came along. <laughs> Wait, where'd that happen? Here she comes. We now got three kids. And now there's three. Everybody's involved in something. You know, find out, hey, we're constantly running and going. That Somewhere in the line of this, this could get dangerous. We can become so busy. So we made a rule. Now, this doesn't have to be your rule, but one of the things we looked at, you know what? Let's limit and pick one thing at a time that they're going to be involved in. 
Because if they're doing multiple things, how in the world do you travel and do all of that? Because then I even found myself where, hey, we want to excel and do this sport. And this sport happens on Sunday. Well, isn't that convenient? It's a traveling league and we're going to go everywhere Sunday. Hey, you know, it's kind of hard. You know, I'm a pastor. We can't go. And so we had to make a decision. We had to say, okay, you know what? What is it that we're going to value in our life and say this is important? Not saying it's right, not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying we've had to have real conversations in our home to say, okay, what do we have to lighten the load of because we can't do it all? So what is the priority? Some of you might say, well, I can't quit. I don't want to teach my kids to quit. They'll quit their sport. They'll quit something. Listen, the enemy wants you to make you, make you think it's quitting. It's not quitting. It's prioritizing. It's not quitting. There's some things you're not quitting. It's sometimes it's prioritizing. You've got to prioritize. What are those things? Because you can't, you, you can busy yourself to a place where it becomes so overwhelming and it becomes something in our lives that takes away from what really matters. What activities, what things do you need to unload? Because you can't, if you're not unloading it, you're not engaged. And if we're not engaged, we teach ourselves that it's okay to sit at the dinner table and everybody pull out their phone and everybody do this. And all of a sudden we're having meaningless conversations conversations with people who don't really care and forfeiting meaningful conversations with the people that really matter so the next time you're tempted to pick up your phone and respond with a simple haha lol whatever that doesn't matter put it away and make sure you're engaging in the moment that you can't get that back you can't get the moment back you don't get another opportunity. You don't get another chance. This is the season. This is the moment. This is the time right now to take advantage and take opportunity to see. You might say, but I'm killing it on Candy Crush. Don't climb for higher th- or lesser things when God's called you to greater things. Don't be a Candy Crush champion when God says, I want you to have time with your family. Have time with, your, with engaging in relationships. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But don't miss on the moments that are all right around you. And all the Candy Crush fans said, some of you are like, I don't even know what Candy Crush is. I don't either. I don't even know if it's still out. I don't have any idea. I have submitted myself a number of maybe two years ago or in the last year that I am no longer the cool dad and I'm cool with it. I'm just there. Let me give you the number three and number four. Here it is. If we're going to stay engaged, how many would admit there's some, there's some things that need to be lightened in your, in your world if we're going to stay engaged? Let me give you number three. We need to limit procrastination. If we're going to stay engaged, we've got to limit procrastination. David David came home, and notice when he got home, the Bible says three days later, right? We started the chapter with three days later. That means the same day that David got home was the same day that the Egyptian slave was left for dead in the desert. Because the Bible says that the the Egyptian slave was three days in the desert without food and without water, right? So that means on the day that David left, the day that David left to come home was the same day that the Egyptian servant was left for dead. How many know that the Egyptian servant was rather important for David getting to where his family was? It was the Egyptian servant that took them to where they were. Here's my point. Had David waited another day, that Egyptian servant could have been dead. Because how many know they say that you can't go longer than three days without water. So here's the Egyptian servant, three days without water and without food, and he was left for dead. David left Achish and left the Philistines to come home, and it was three days. 
It was the same day that David left was the same day that that Egyptian was left for dead. When it comes to discipline in your home and in your life, you can never start too early. There's no such thing as being too early when it comes to discipline. If you want to start taking care of your health, there's never too early. No one's ever going to say, well, you started way too early to start taking care of yourself. No one's ever going to come and say, you know what, you really, you started way too early putting emphasis on your marriage. You started way too early. No one's going to come along and say, hey, in your, in your children, being engaged your children, you started way too young in their life to be involved and to, and to connect with them. No one, when it comes to discipline, you'll never be too early. But when it comes to discipline, you could be too late. When it came to finding that man who was, the, who was left for dead, they could have never come too early. But there could have been a moment that they came too late. And when it comes to discipline in your life and in your home, families, listen, don't miss and procrastinate the moment that's in front of us. It could be too late. But how many know that if we engage, you say, well, I missed chances, opportunities in the, in the past. God says today, he's, gonna, he's able to restore. So we need to... We need to Make sure that we live for the greater good. We need to make sure that we lighten the load. We need to make sure that we limit procrastination. Here's the last one. And the last one is this, that as we come to a place in our walk with God and in a place of living with discipline, we've got to lead through resistance. Now I want to close with this and we're going to spend time in, 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 in prayer this morning, but we've got to lead through resistance. We all notice discipline isn't something we like. Don't you wish you could snap your fingers and go from dream to destiny? If only it could be that easy. But you're at a place of discipline. In church, God is bringing us at a place where we've got to go through discipline. And I, I'm not talking about discipline of scolding and correcting bad behavior. I'm talking about discipline that sets a standard for right behavior. It sets a standard for moving in the, in the right direction. I'm going to be engaged. I'm going to lead. I'm going to step into a gap that's lacking we got to lead the resistance. The Bible says that David went with his men and they fought all night, all day, until the next evening. That's hard. We've got to lead the resistance. Here's something that I've learned. That when it comes to discipline, I don't feel like doing it. Anybody ever noticed that? When it comes to discipline, when when I lead with discipline in my home, maybe parents of teenagers and those of you who have been parents of teenagers, you can relate to this. I've had moments where I've said, I need to address this matter. I've got to have this conversation. It's not so such a, 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 a bad situation, but I've got to be dad and I've got to step in. I've got to lead this situation. And I've had moments with the teenager and before I've said anything, I've thought, oh, but I don't feel like it. Any parents of teenagers can admit that? I don't feel like it. Or how about this? I know the moment I address that, I'm going to get pushback. Right? And so, I'm just going to tell you what this dad has had before. Where this dad has said, oh God, I don't feel like dealing with that right now. And then I've had to come back and say, if I don't deal with it, if I don't deal with it now, it could be a bigger problem down the road. So then I've got to have a sit down at the dinner table or whatever it is. I don't schedule, hey, come into my office, we're going to talk. But no, I have the moments, whether it's on a drive somewhere or it's just us together. And I begin to engage in conversation. So, hey, what about that music? What about that friend? What about that situation? And I sometimes have gotten, my kids love me and I love them, but let's be real. I've even gotten the, oh, dad, come on. 
Oh, Dad. Everybody. It's no big deal. Now, before you think this is something of great, whatever it might be, I'm literally talking about choices that we would make with, with television that we watch. If you probably, if you, if you want to be real about it, I mean, it's stuff like Big Bang Theory, okay? So if it, just tell it all out right there. I mean, I've, I've had moments where I've said, hey, <laughs> I'm not so sure I want that in my house. That's not stuff that we're, oh, man, it's funny. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's stuff. Yeah. So before you're thinking it's something, I, no, I'm just telling you, I, I have to be dad. I have to have moments say, hey, this is, this is the home that we've got to honor, and, and I've got to set a standard here. Discipline is, you will not watch that in my house, huh? I am dad, you will not do that. No, it's a standard of saying, hey, guys, as for me and my house, where I am, we're not going to do that. I realize you can make your choices and you're going to have to, and it's my job to raise you up to make choices. But here, for me, I want you to know, because my job, I gave it up. I told you about a year or two years ago, I gave up the role of trying to be cool dad. I'm not cool. I don't have, Jody's still cool. She's got it. She's hip. She's young. She's beautiful. She's awesome. I'm like grandpa, okay? So I'm nothing against grandpa. I'm, I'm wearing it fine. I'm okay with it. It's all good for me. But I'm the fuddy-duddy. I'm okay with that. I'm the old guy. I'm the guy that, and I'm okay with that. You know why? Because here's what I'm reminded of. Leaders aren't the ones who are popular. Leaders are the one that says, this is the way we're going to go. And you guys can go where you want to go, but you're going to have to know. Listen, and here's what I'm looking for men that'll rise up and lead because I want to lead. My, my family loves me. I know they love me. They, they love me and they know that I'm dad. They know that I'm called to lead the home and they honor and they respect me and I could not have a better family to lead in the presence of God. I love sitting down and having devotions with my family. I love being able to share with my family and have time and we sit down and they pray. So before you think we're all over the place or don't think too high and don't think too low of us, but we're at a place, we're learning how to follow Jesus and I'm learning how to lead my home in a place of discipline. I'm learning how to set a standard because here's what I'm saying to my kids. Guys, I want to live in such a way that you'll always know where to find me. You'll know, you'll know what I stand for. You know what I'm about. And when all this world happens and everything takes place, you'll know where to find me. You'll know where I am because I want to live with a consistency and a follow through and a truth to God's word that we don't have to wonder, hmm, I wonder what dad thinks about that today. Well, it all depends what mood he's in. All depends how he feels today. All depends if he's on what rocker, what it is he is. No, I'm living a life of discipline and you'll know where to find me. You'll know where I'm going to be. You'll know where I'm going to stand on the matter. And if you and I say we don't exactly know, you know where we're going to go to look and find out where we need to stand on in the matter because this is the life that we're living and this is the standard that we want to put in place because if not we become disengaged we become disengaged and we miss those moments you know what it's like though to be a disappointment don't you haven't you ever been to the place of disappointment I got good news for you Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he says, learn of me. Learn of me. Listen, there's not one of us here that have not led or found our, ourselves in disappointment. We say to God, in a place of disappointment, let's lead. So I wonder if there's anyone in your school ready to lead. Just someone in your world ready to lead in your home. I want to close with, with this this morning. And it was uh, not too long ago, I was in the store. And as I was just praying and preparing, this is the picture that the Lord gave me. There was a lady as I went into the store and she had passed out. 
and uh, someone had attended right before me and I'm not good at this stuff I don't do medical well I'm, I can pray for you but I got a card that says I know how to give CPR but I have no idea how to do it somebody else I mean, I'm just not confident I'll say it that way I'm not confident in myself some other people are like the best I could do She's fading in and out. She had fainted and she's just fading in and out. The best I could do, they called the ambulance. The best I could do was, hang in there, stay with me, don't. The best, hey, what's your name? And I engaged in conversation. And it was the more she engaged in conversation was, okay, I feel like this is worth something. Just stay engaged, just stay with me, just stay with me. And I literally, I don't know the lady, but I'm putting my hands on her face and just tapping. Okay, okay, stay with me, just stay with me, just, just hang in there. So what's your name? So what's your husband's name? So what? And I'm just engaging, I'm having conversation. Don't, just stay with me, stay with me. And I feel like the Holy Spirit here this morning is saying to somebody, hey, stay with me, stay with me, stay engaged, don't, don't leave now. You're tempted sometimes to come to a place, well, nobody's going to really notice, I'll just go off to the side, it's no big deal. And you just simply quietly move yourself for whatever reason. Because maybe we get too caught up in the place of disappointment and we blame and we whine and we weep and we spend all the time missing opportunity and we just step off to the side. No, God says to us today, stay engaged. Don't go to the back of the room. Don't step to the side. Try to be missed. Don't just try to get by. Stay engaged. Stay with me. Stay with me. So here's what I ask you this morning. Are we pursuing the things that really matter? Are you wholly and completely committed to the work of Jesus Christ in your life? Are there some things you need to lessen? Hey, mom, I know your child's a great baseball player. Let's be real. You can teach him to miss church, to go play and do things all over the place. careful what we prioritize now before you think this is mean or rude or harsh I just want to make a true statement and that is you can't get years back to teach the most important things that matter you can't get years back to teach the most important things that matter and God help us if we train up a generation to make them think that our God is busyness that religion today is busy if you busy yourself and do good things then We've created an idol out of something that's not going to last. Out of something that's not going to be forever. Now I realize there's seasons, so please hear me in love. But we sometimes, oh, yeah, we'd love to be in church. And I, y'all are here in church, so you can't hear this today because you're here. Oh, we'd love to be in church, but we got so much going on. Maybe you need to get rid of what you got going on. Oh, why? So you can have a situation. No, we care about your soul. Go to another church if it's another church. I, I just We care about your soul. I, it's hard for me to say, but man, I'm so glad you're active. I'm so glad you're busy. I'm, but be careful. The enemy's lulling you to sleep to make you be content with being a bodyguard in the enemy's army. And he called you to be a king. Don't be a bodyguard in the enemy's army, David. He called you to be a king. So I guess I'm saying to moms and dads, grandparents, leaders, let's be, let's be those who lead with discipline so a generation behind us won't settle for being bodyguards in, a, in the enemy's camp. 
but will rise up and be the kings and queens that God's called them to be. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week.